0: Welcome to the Campbell Conversations. I'm Grant Reher. My guest today is the Syracuse writer, Georgia Papa, who was recently named Onondaga County's Poet Laureate. She's worked for many years to teach and spread creative writing in the Syracuse community through, among other organizations, the Downtown Writers' Center of the YMCA of Central New York. Her books include Psychometry, Psalter, The Agnostics' Book of Common Curiosities, and The Doom Weaver. Georgia, welcome to the program, and congratulations on this new title and award. Thanks, Grant. I'm so
1: excited about this. It's been wonderful to have all the people who I've known over the years from so many sectors of my life send emails or see me at, you know, a restaurant and go, oh, congratulations. I even Somebody even gave me a little tiara and, and wand, scepter, you know. <laughs> I've been practicing my queen wave. That's great. <laughs> but no, it's a, it's a tremendous honor. I'm very excited. And uh, I'm very excited about basically setting a model for this. This will be a recurring post for someone. You know, uh-huh. it's a two-year term and um, it's more than just a title. There are, is programming that should be included. And, uh, I, you well, know, I've got yeah. some ideas for that.
0: Tell, yeah, tell me about that. That's what I wanted to ask was, you know, does this appointment have a job description or you're going to create it? It sounds like you're going to create it in part and and what you have in mind for what you want to do with it. I'd like to hear about that.
1: It sounds more like I am going to create it, you know, being the first. The, the first, I'm actually the second laureate, but the first was Jackie Warren Moore as the county legislature was making the decision to create this post. Um and the county executive, uh Ryan McMahon, was was very much behind that. Jackie was likely going to be named first, and then she passed away. She was ill, mm. and she passed away before it had all been finalized. So she mm. was named posthumously mm. for all of her incredible work and community. And, and Jackie and I were friends. We met when we were teen poets. Walt Shepard was mentoring both of us at the time. Oh, yeah. You know, we were some of his first young people before he started, way before he started the media unit. So anyway, Jackie was honored for a year's term posthumously. So I'm mm. the first person to get out and do the work of, a, of the laureate in the community. So I also feel a responsibility to set a model for anyone who will follow me. And that involves uh, what can we do to promote poetry, in our lives poetry used to be a really important part of people's lives before television before you know before radio before certainly before the internet i think we're in a golden age now poetry is flourishing again and i think partially because we can connect so readily and provide poetry in so many different ways through media mm. but you know promoting poetry in general and literature in general and literacy I've spent many years as a writer in schools and doing community programming as a writer to really promote both the writing of poetry, but literacy in general for all age groups. So this is an opportunity to knock on some doors for some support from different organizations, help some collaborations. I want to reach out to some sister cities that have statues dedicated to Goethe and Schiller, the poets and just establish some kind of literary diplomacy in a way who knows what else i'm looking forward to possibly connecting with the library system in the county and having more events more poetry on the shelves more of our local writers represented in both appearances and their work being available through the library system there's so many things that can happen
0: Mm. well you mentioned the um community-based creative writing outreach efforts that you've already been involved with. And that's one of the reasons you're being recognized with this award being tapped for it. Could you just tell me a little bit, one of the things that that I was particularly interested in hearing a little bit about was the Young Writers Academy. Tell me a little bit about your work with with Uh, that.
1: Oh, that's so, I'm so glad you asked. The Downtown Writers Center opened uh, almost 22 years ago and Well, late 2011, when I had first started as workshops coordinator for the Downtown Writers Center, I have been teaching since the beginning and certainly very active, but I started coordinating the curriculum, working so closely with Phil Memmer all those years, who's amazing. (laughs) Phil is a remarkable writer and friend, but as an administrator, I can't sing his praises highly enough. Anyway, we were given uh, a pledge of a significant amount of money for programming for students in the Syracuse City School District that might not have the same kind of access to training in the arts that someone in more affluent communities would have. And so he said, you know, besides music lessons, dance lessons, art lessons for particularly underserved youth he said, you know what, why don't we start a teen program or or a youth program? So we started the Young Authors Academy in February of 2012. And we had six students show up for the first six weeks. And then some more found out about it. And we grew to 10. And then we grew to 16 over the course of about six months. And before COVID, we were up to about an averaging about 30, 35 students on a Saturday afternoon from 12 wow. to two, grades six through 12. Huh. And we have students who have would start in, in sixth grade and go all the way through high school. I refer to them as our legacy students. In fact, the article that appeared on Syracuse.com and in the post standard is written by one of our original students, oh, one cool. of our alums. Yeah, Emma Valalunga. She is now uh, earning her her way as a freelance journalist. But she, for her whole, you know, middle and high school career, she was writing with us on Saturdays. So we had eventually grew to we had middle school fiction, high school fiction, poetry, and digital storytelling. We were working on a po- to do a podcast. We had students who did worked with a couple of different filmmakers. To do short videos. The students documented the duck races against racism for several years. Our students created an anthology and uh, everything was going well. It was an astoundingly diverse program. We had students from as far as Cortland coming, and we had students from the suburbs, we had students from the inner city, we had students who came to central new york as refugee families we had tremendous diversity and we had a, a great time it was a lot of fun and That's then covid great.
0: hit oh, yeah
1: <laughs> so we went into hiatus for about 6 months and then went to zoom but in that time we also started two more young authors academy workshops one we will be resuming in the winter time called speaking out which is specifically for students who identify as LGBTQ and their peer allies. And then we have another program we've been doing for two years now called Numberless Dreams, which is a workshop for ninth through 12th graders with disabilities taught by writers with disabilities.
0: And we have students
1: from as far as Vancouver, BC, uh, San Francisco, Atlanta, Southern California, because that's all done on Zoom.
0: Uh
1: A remarkable thing about that workshop is that a good portion of the students in that workshop are students with autism who are non-speaking. We use the chat. A lot of conversation happens in the chat because they can keyboard.
0: Well, that sounds fantastic, and uh, really, uh, I think, a testament to to why I, uh, the county looked to you for this. You're listening to the Campbell Conversations on WRVO Public Media. I'm Grant Reher, and I'm speaking with Onondaga County Poet Laureate, Georgia Popoff. Let me ask you a question about the environment, Syracuse as a writing community, I guess. I, there There are some pretty big writer names that are associated with Syracuse in recent years, thinking of George Saunders, who used to live here and teach here, and Mary Carr, Dana Spiotta. It's my impression that Syracuse has a quite a vibrant writing scene just generally for a community of its size. Is my impression correct?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. You know, uh, this is a great place to write. It's, you know, first of all, you got winter keeping you in the house. Um, No, it's, you know, I'm such an advocate for central New York. I really love it here. And there are so many attributes, but as a writer, there are so many people who are publishing and they write here, they publish here, which is a, a, a reason why the writer's center started the central New York book awards 10 years ago. And that is for writers who are publishing in an eight, uh, county region of Syracuse, an annual award in poetry, nonfiction, fiction and now children's books. Um, that one is supported by Gallesano Children's Hospital, that award. And we get 40, 45 books each year of people who have published, there with small press, sometimes big press or university press, and self-publishing. Self-publishing has become more acceptable and yeah. i think for some people it's the only way to go the best way to go it takes a long time people who think they're going to get an agent and get a big publisher and all of that it's brutal hmm. <laughs> so if you're writing a book because you just really want to write a book for a smaller audience it's still it could be a two year cycle of sending a manuscript out before you ever see it in print if you just want to to do the book and then sell it because no matter who you're published with, you still, it's the the onus is on the writer to make sure that the book sells, you know, Mm -hmm. especially if you're famous yet, but nobody knows it. So self-publishing is another avenue. And a lot of people come to the writer center saying, I've always wanted to write a book or I've started a book and I'm not sure what to do. And we have the ability to support people through that process.
0: That's great. Well, you know, I want to get into uh, some questions about your own style of poetry. But I think what might make better sense is, why don't we hear a couple poems now, uh, before the break that we take in the middle of the program, and then we'll get into some of those questions on the other side. So uh, if you've got a couple, maybe a couple of poems from your most recent book, Psychometry, why don't you read those, and then we'll talk about poetry on the other side.
1: Thanks. I'd love to. Um, one thing to know about psychometry is that the first three sections of this uh, book, that's divided into four sections, are written in persona poetry. That is, the voice of someone other than me. Got it. Uh, I'm yeah. channeling, and in the first one, I'm going to read. This is written in the voices of inanimate objects from the li- daily lives of iconic women who would show who they are. You know, underneath the the right. fame. Joan of Arc said. I should be the saddest of all the world if I knew that I were not in the grace of God. But if I were in a state of sin, do you think the voice would come to me? Joan of Arc's shears. (tries) 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 We whispered through hanks of hair wrapped around her fist, pulled taut from her scalp. she keeps us sharp and ready the shock of the act has dulled yet each trim is a fierce clash of blade (laughs) (laughs) we know fire being forged in the deepest belly of heat we were pounded strong if our tongues were blessed with voice we would insist the maid not be so flagrant these are dire times and in spite of sword and armor, she is still mortal. She believes in a higher protection. We know the insatiable hunger of flame. Uh, another from this series in the book is Christine Jorgensen's first pair of pumps. Uh, Christine Jorgensen was the first noted transsexual woman And she was uh, also an advocate for LGBTQ rights in it very early on, would be on the Mike Douglas show and such. And I was really, even as a young person, I admired her. She said, I haven't looked at love from both sides. I've only looked at it from this side. Christine Jorgensen's first pair of pumps. There was certainty in her stride fortitude. We had to mold her arches, pitching her onto the balls of her feet. At first, her toes cramped. She was learning to firewalk. But something shifted when she learned to lean into her heels. Her calves turned steely. She righted her shoulders, lifted her chin, her firm new breasts. And I'll share one from the second part of the the book these were all letters and notes and communications uh from mostly fictional women and this takes a an iconic american myth and turns it into a real person note from aunt jemima i did not plan for fame i am a simple woman a worker my apron is practical it keeps the splatters from belly and bosom I've no taste for pancakes and Rastus is not my husband. My man is tender and shy. He takes no truck in the limelight and wishes me less recognizable. He would prefer a quiet life and ample garden. I'd tend no other kitchen but my own. They captured me on a Tuesday as I swept the porch and shooed the chickens. What if they had come looking on another day? If I had been on my husband's arm, my church hat gleaming.
0: I love those. You're listening to the Campbell Conversation on WRVO Public Media. I'm Grant Reher, and my guest is Georgia Popoff. The Syracuse writer was recently named the Poet Laureate of Onondaga County, and we've been discussing her work and also spreading creative writing into the community. Uh, Georgia, I love those poems that you read before we took the break. How and why did you become a poet?
1: I don't think I had a choice. I started writing poetry when I was a child. I had a difficult time as a young person. My mother died when I was a teen and poetry was the way to get through. I was fascinated by poetry that I had been exposed to and started pursuing on my own. And then I wound up in Oswego in the creative writing program with Lou Turco. Didn't get to finish my degree, so went on to just continue to do it on my own. Went through 10 years of not writing because I was I didn't think I was ever going to be able to accomplish the goals that I wanted as a professional writer. And then when I turned 40, it started again and everything else has been since then.
0: That's great. So is there a particular uh, style of poetry that that you tend to work in that has a name? I'm not a poetry expert, so educate me on that.
1: Well, the two predominant forms of poetry are Narrative poetry that tell a story, or lyric poetry that deal mostly with emotion, often a shorter poem. I don't have any particular style. When somebody asks the question, "What kind of poetry do you write?" I just I write what I what comes to me. I can't, and then I figure out later what it's going to be. So it's really hard to answer that question. I'm mm. I'm not a formalist, though. I'm a, I write free verse. I okay. rarely write in traditional forms. I'm obstinate. I, I I create a great deal of structure in my free verse, but mm. Uh, I don't, like, I'm, I don't write sonnets. I'm not good at it. I'm not good at rhyming. Mm. I'm not good at intentional rhyming.
0: Mm. Mm. That Yeah, that would be challenging, I think. Uh, well, let me ask you this question about poetry more generally. And, you know, I'm a political scientist, so that's where my mind tends to go. But it's about the relation between poetry and politics and particular concerns for social justice. It seems, you know, there's always been a vein of political activism and social commentary that runs through a lot of American poetry. I'm thinking of Walt Whitman, Langston Hughes, Maya Angelou. You know, they come to mind immediately. Do you think that that impulse has become more prevalent in current poetry that, that you're reading?
1: I think it's always been there. Hmm. The, the, the first recognized poem that was put into uh, some form of written form was a Sumerian woman protest poem in cuneiform. The poets have always been the voice of what's happening in society, and uh, it's only really the the idea of confessional personal poetry is very much a twentieth century thing. Huh. You know, the Beats were political. The everyone was political. I mean, hmm. you you know Wendell Keyes. You know, hmm. we've we've got lots of examples, and uh, it's not a new thing. I think hmm. we just have, we have a kind of access because of media that we didn't used to have. Hmm.
0: If you just joined us, you're listening to the Campbell Conversations on WRVO Public Media. And my guest is the Syracuse-based writer, Georgia Popoff. Now, the poems that, that you read before the break seem to deal in different ways with womanhood and and, and gender. Uh, it's my understanding that your writing has often dealt with those issues, do you want to talk a little bit about how you see, however you want to describe this feminism or concerns about womanhood in your writing?
1: When I started the project for psychometry, uh, it, I wasn't writing autobiographical poetry because I, I was current on the story and bored with it. Um, so I wanted to do something deeper, investigate deeper questions. And clearly, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm in my late 60s and came through the women's movement of the 70s. You know, we we have a chance to give voice to the needs of equality and justice for all people. So how could I attack that in poetry? And how could I examine questions of life, the universe, and everything? I, I started looking at women in history, and who were they really? And that led me on this journey that uh, took me into the book. And It took 10 years to, while I was working on many things, I worked on that book for 10 years. Wow. And it's just inherently, I think every woman winds up being a feminist one way or another. And, <laughs> and if you're writing about your life, you're writing about feminism in some, some manner. It's not overt. I don't write overtly poet, political poetry very often, because my emotion gets in the way of good quality poetry, but um it's just uh, that I, I realized, oh, this is a feminist treatise as well as a book of
0: poems. Interesting. Well, we've got about um, four minutes or so left. Do we Do we have enough time for uh, a couple other poems, maybe from some of your earlier work, and perhaps well, ones that, that illustrate those themes in different ways?
1: I'd kind of like to read an, a, a new poem. Oh, great. Let's do I've that. Got, yeah, yeah I've, I've, I'm finishing up a fifth collection of poetry that I'll be begging somebody to publish soon. And um uh, I'd like to read this poem called Why I Don't Rock Climb. Okay. For Chuck Harmon and C. D. Wright. A body could stretch beyond gravity's clutch for a moment, step confidently onto a ledge, and be wrong. Or a hand could grab hold of a nub of granite. The nub could harbor a sheen of ice. A body could slip into a swirling eddy below in an instant, nothing to erase the inevitable. Firmly planted on ground level, I don't reckon I have any business in the heavens just yet. I don't trust myself not to fall from a bridge or tumble into a red crater mesmerized by its molten lake. I refuse to skydive although fierce men have urged me to fall with them through the clouds. No tenacity for flight school to own the sky, though for an hour I did steady the throttle of a Cessna four-seater toward the horizon. I don't ski, bungee jump, or hang glide. But once on a crisp October night, I was bamboozled by a sweet-talking lover into climbing a searchlight tower in the middle of a hayfield near a small landing strip. Each clang of my clog on the steel rungs sang a testament to victory over terror. The stars were so much closer to my fingers. Orion strolled overhead. The deer below like brown satellites. I lifted my hand to grasp the impossible. Then I made my way back down, gingerly, suddenly taller. That's
0: great. Do we have time for one short one, and then if if we've got more time after that, I'll squeeze in one last question for you, but either way.
1: This is another from Living with Haints. I became someone else the day I was born, dragged from the dark, initiated into the keen assault of light, forced to the skill of adapting. I became a daughter, next a sister, again, again, and again, helper, responsible. Obliged. I became someone else on the walk home alone on my first day of school. And then when visits with my father were imposed, my mouth sewn shut by his silence, his glare. Someone else each and every time I fell in love, tailoring myself to the cut and trim of a man."
0: Well, that certainly speaks to the theme, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, we've only got about a minute left, uh, maybe less. I have to, I want to squeeze this last question in because, you know, we're talking in December and you're obviously know a lot about writing. The holidays are fast approaching. If somebody listening is interested in getting or giving a, a newer volume of poems, some volume of poetry, do you have a book or two that you could recommend other than, of course, the Georgia pop-off oeuvre? Uh, but <laughs> just one, one, one or two other books quickly that someone might buy to, to give to somebody else.
1: I'm going to advocate for the book that Padraig Otuma just put out from his uh, Poetry Unbound uh, podcast. And I think it's called Poetry Unbound 50, 50 Poems. It's across the room right now. So I going to grab it. Okay. But it's it's being released just in time for Christmas, and I also think that that the podcast was on P, on uh, NPR for many years. I highly recommend it, as, especially for people who think they like poetry but don't know a lot. It's the I think it's the best podcast, Poetry Unbound.
0: Just r- repeat the author's name, Padraig O'Tuma. He's an Great. Irish poet. Okay. Thank you. That was Georgia Popoff. Georgia, once again, congratulations on being named the county's Poet Laureate, and thanks for taking the time to speak with me. It's a lot of fun.
1: Oh, thanks for inviting me. I always appreciate speaking with you, Grant. Thanks.
0: You bet. You've been listening to the Campbell Conversations on WRVO Public Media, Conversations in the Public Interest. That's great. We are slightly over, but Mark Lavonier. With works magic and he will make that work.
1: Okay. If he has to cut one of the poems, the keen assault of light, forced to the skill of adapting, I became a daughter next a sister again, again, and again, helper, responsible, obliged. I became someone else on the walk home alone on my first day of school. And then when visits with my father were imposed, my mouth sewn shut by his silence his glare someone else each and every time i fell in love tailoring myself to the cut and trim of a man
0: well that certainly speaks to the theme doesn't it <laughs>
1: <laughs> um
0: well we've only got about a minute left uh, maybe less i have to i want to squeeze this last question in because you know we're talking in december and you're obviously know a lot about writing. Holidays are fast approaching. If somebody listening is interested in getting or giving a, a newer volume of poems, some volume of poetry, do you have a book or two that you could recommend other than, of course, the Georgia pop-off oeuvre? Uh, <laughs> just one, one, one or two other books quickly that someone might buy to to give to somebody else.
1: I'm going to advocate for the book that Padraig Otuma just put out from his uh Poetry Unbound uh podcast. And I think it's called Poetry Unbound 50, 50 Poems. It's across the room right now, so I'm gonna grab it. Okay. But it's it's being released just in time for Christmas. And I also think that, that the podcast was on NPR on uh NPR for many years. I highly recommend it as especially for people who think they like poetry but don't know a lot it's the i think it's the best podcast poetry Unbound.
0: just repeat the author's name padrick otuma he's an irish poet okay thank you that was georgia papa georgia once again congratulations on being named the county's poet laureate and thanks for taking the time to speak with me it's a lot of fun
1: Oh, thanks for inviting me. I always appreciate speaking with you, Grant.
0: Thanks. You bet. You've been listening to The Campbell Conversations on WRVO Public Media, conversations in the public interest.
1: The Campbell Conversations, conversations in the public interest, is hosted and produced by Grant Reher, engineered by Tom Fazio, assistant producer is Jacqueline Witwicky, and the program is edited by Mark Liponier. The Campbell Conversations is a joint production of the Campbell Public Affairs Institute at Syracuse University and WDBO Public Media. To learn more about the program and hear previous interviews, visit Campbell campbellconversations